This is a podcast from the children's radio station Fun Kids. Listen on DAB Digital Radio across the UK or online at funkidslive.com. So I am joined right now down the line by Dan Schreiber and Anne Miller, who are QI elves and have helped put together an amazing book called Funny You Should Ask. Uh, hey guys, how you doing? Hello. Hello. Now, oh my goodness, this book has just, it's taken over my life, I won't lie to you, because um, <laughs> it poses a question and then you answer it. And then in my head, I'm asking more and more questions. And it's just, I've gone down so many rabbit holes. Uh, so Anne, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, so we do a segment on the Zoe Ball Breakfast Show where listeners send us in their questions. And they. what's really nice about it is people always tell us a bit about the question. So it could be somebody's toddler has posed a question that they never thought of and didn't know how to answer. Or you get people you know, who are much older who say, I've been wondering this every day and I've never known the answer. So what's really fun for us is it's a complete mystery. We don't know what we're going to get um, until that week. And we can be researching things about um, why is it red? Why is it always red for stop and green for go on a traffic light? Um, why do dads make such bad jokes? Or how much water would you need to put out the sun? So we had a lot of fun researching the answers to these. And Dan, do you ever get a question and you're like, oh my goodness, I have no idea. How do I even tackle this one? Yeah, absolutely. Because there are so many questions that don't have answers that have been lost through the annals of time. You know, they are questions about where does this certain word come from or this certain phrase? Um, and we have no idea. But what's interesting is to trace the history of how it got to where it got. So you don't end up with no answer. You end up with actually sometimes a far more interesting answer than just saying, oh, it was because of this very basic thing. You tell a whole story. It must be quite interesting, yeah, to kind of, you kind of travel back in time and you work in circles a little bit and you find out even more facts than you imagined you would. Exactly. That's that's the really fun thing. And history is littered with so many people that have been forgotten, the sort of people that sit in one sentence in, in a bigger biography of, of someone else or a theme. And it's really fun digging out all these little forgotten characters and forgotten facts that we don't seem to tell each other anymore. And that, that's our job to tell you now. Man, I, I, I do, I've got to say, I love facts so much. Um, and what is your favourite fact that you found out in the book? Oh, I think it probably is that the Hawaiian pizza wasn't invented in Hawaii. So I love <laughs> pineapple on a pizza. I know not everyone does. I think it's great. Um, but it was invented by a Greek man who lived in Canada. And he put pineapple on his pizza because he thought mixing sort of sweet and savoury is often quite nice. And Hawaiian was the brand of pineapple he used. So that's why it has that name. And I love that because <laughs> I've been eating Hawaiian pizza for years and I never knew. Oh, and you know, the next time any, anybody listening to this has a Hawaiian pizza, they'll be like, I know a great fact about this. Right. It's very <laughs> useful information. Exactly. And now, you know. Uh, Dan, how about you? What was your favorite bit in the book? Uh, the most surprising one for me, which I'm going to use once uh, we're allowed to go to places around the world again, is if you go to certain hotels, you can ask reception for a pillow menu. Now... <laughs> This is, you get to your room and you feel your bed and you feel the pillow and you go, oh, that's not quite great. Most of us go, well, I'm just going to have to sleep on that. But a lot of hotels have a pillow menu and they can send it up to you and you can pick a different pillow to sleep on at night. I had no idea. That's incredible. That is not a service that my, my dad offers at his house, which is now I'm annoyed at. Uh, that's frankly rude <laughs> that he doesn't. Do you guys, out of interest, do you have like a go-to fact, not necessarily in the book, but do you do you have a, a certain fact that you always kind of rock out that people are impressed by? Oh, my! well, I really love puffins. I think they are the most adorable birds. And I really love the fact that baby puffins are called pufflings because it's just the cutest word I've ever heard. <laughs> that is great. How about you, Dan? 
Oh, there are so many. That's the problem. We we constantly find new ones all the time. So I'm just trying to think of, um, let me get back to you. I'm going to give you two or three as we go on in the interview. I'm just going to chuck them in at random. Please do. I Because I found, the reason I ask is because I found out it would take, I think, 40 billion Lego bricks to get to the moon. Oh, and- and that has just like, that's, you know, when certain things just stick in your head and that has been in my brain for such a long time now. And I just don't know what to do with that information. That's just in there now. Well, I, want, I now want to know how tall your Lego tower is or any of your listeners, how many bricks they've managed to get and how, who's the nearest to the moon. Oh my goodness. I would love pictures of that. If any Fun Kids listeners listen to this and make a Lego brick that goes to the moon, email me, go to funkidslive.com right now. <laughs> One fact that I do love about Lego is that, and we have this in the book, is that Lego is more painful to stand on than, say, hot coals or nails. People who do that for a living say, I will happily walk across hot coals and nails, but not on Lego. Lego is the most painful thing that you can trod on. And fortunately, there are people out there who've invented things like Lego slippers, so that if you're walking around and you step on a bit of Lego, it sort of just attaches itself to the bottom of your slipper in a Lego position, uh, so you don't have to hurt yourself anymore. And then eventually you get taller and taller, and maybe you yourself will get big enough to get to the moon. Right, get (laughs) enough bricks. Um, now, guys, I have to ask, I've always been intrigued by this. How many elves are there for QI? Because you all seem to work incredibly hard. Uh, how many are there behind the scenes? So there's about a dozen um, who work in the office. Obviously, at the moment, we're all working um, from our living rooms. But there's different, we also have different specialties. So some of us um, make a podcast, some of us make radio shows, some of us work on the TV show. But what unites all of us is we're all really curious. So I think we don't sort of come to work and just read out facts we already know we're genuinely finding out new things every day so if you came into our office you'd probably hear somebody being like guys you will never (laughs) guess what I've just read about raccoons and then we'll be like what have you read about raccoons and it's just so exciting to find out new things and every time you ask a question your brain sort of sprouts several more so there's one in the book that I love which is um like it's just I don't love this question so much which is if spiders can walk on the ceiling why can't they get out of the bath (laughs) <laughs> and now when you think about that you're like yeah they're really good climbers so why do they always get stuck and it's because they have really hairy legs and each hair on their leg has even more like hundreds of thousands of even tinier hairs and all these hairs combined give them some basically force they can stick onto things and whereas uh, ceilings and walls are quite bumpy it's kind of like a climbing wall you've got something to grip onto but a bath is so shiny and sleek there's nothing those hairs are just struggling to get anything at all but the reason that often if you look in the bath, it's quite a big spider, they need more force to like help them pull themselves out. So whereas little ones can maybe sort of just about manage the big tubby ones, they can't get out and they've got to wait till someone comes and rescues them. That's incredible. I love the idea of a tubby spider as well. That is yeah. such a lovely phrase. <laughs> Bex, I've thought of a fact that I really oh, like. Go for it. Yes, please. If you're outside uh, just for coronavirus purposes, don't touch your face. Um, do this indoors after you've cleaned your hands. Um, so our nostrils, um, you wonder why do we have two nostrils rather than just one nostril? You know, If it's doing mm. the same job, why do we have two? But actually, they're both doing different jobs at different points during the day. So everyone who's listening to this now, you can test this out. Basically, you have one nostril that's doing all the work, most of the breathing work, while the other one is resting and a bit congested. So if you put your thumb over one of the, your nostrils, Mm-hmm. let's say the right one, and you start breathing. So have a just breathe in and, and feel how the air is coming in and then mm-hmm. swap, over, swap your thumb over to your other nostril and breathe in. And you might notice that one of them has more of a quick flow than the other of taking air in. Yeah. And that's your, 
that's your dominant nostril for this bit of the day. <laughs> and what will happen is try this again in a few hours, maybe three hours or so, uh, do the nostril test again. You'll notice it's the other, the other nostril that is the <laughs> dominant one while it's giving the other one a rest. So they take turns in sort of being the, the primary breather for you. <laughs> it's fascinating. And it's, that's really useful for smells because a lot of smells, when we're, when we're smelling things, take a while to properly analyze the smell. So the, the sort of, let's say, lazier nostril will really analyze the smell because it gets caught up in all the congestion and can really break down what's going on smell-wise there, whereas the other one is just really quick and so it can tell you immediately what a smell is. So it's really useful. That's why we have two nostrils. Oh man, Dan, you know what you've done there is just make me touch my nose all day. That's, I mean, we're all stuck at home at the moment. We've not got a lot on. I'm going to be just sniffing around. Oh, that's, that was a great fact. Uh, right. So we also have some questions sent in by Fun Kids listeners. Um, so I thought I'd ask you guys then because um, as much as I'd like to answer the questions, I have absolutely no idea. Um, every day on Fun Kids, I do something called a brain buster, which was uh, where I set a question and kids have two songs worth of time to answer it. So I know my listeners are big fans of facts and they have not disappointed here. Uh, the first one came in from Ray- Rainbow Unicorn 12, who says, why do your fingers go crinkly in the bath? Yeah, first of all, excellent name, Rainbow Unicorn. Now, this is an example of a fact where the information actually has sort of changed. So people used to think it was because when you're in the bath, your skin soaked up the water and that made your fingers sort of those wrinkly sort of pruny look that they take on. But more recently, they think it's actually to do with your nervous system and your blood vessels. Um, And the reason they think this is they think that when your fingers go wrinkly, it might give you better grip on things that are wet. So it will help you if you were like, I mean, in your bathroom, it's probably pretty safe. But if you were like out in the wild or somewhere and needed grip on wet surfaces, they think that pruny effect will actually help you. Or also, if you find some tubby spiders in the bath, you can pick them up with those crinkly hands. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> help, them, help them on their way to safety. Awesome. Great fact. Uh, next up, we had Bebop Girl who says, why are boys sometimes taller than girls? Mm. Oh, I actually looked this I didn't know this answer to this. So I looked this up in the Encyclopedia Britannica because it's a very good source. And they said, actually, so first of all, it depends on everyone grows slightly differently. But generally, um, boys tend to be taller than girls until they're about 11. And then girls overtake. And then it switches back when you're around 14. So it depends how old you are when you're doing the measuring and how old your friend is. Excellent stuff. Uh, We had a next one from John John 10, who says, why is the moon white? Well, okay, John John 10, the moon isn't actually white. It just looks it. When you look at it in the night sky, obviously it's this beautiful, bright white object. But if you see photos, and they're really lovely to look at, go online and look at the moon landing photos with Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. You'll see huge patches of gray, very dark. There's even bits of brown. It's it's slightly a bit more colorful than than we realized. But back on Earth, you've got basically a big blanket of black in the night sky, And then you have reflecting sunlight off the moon, a little bit of brightness. And it's largely to do with the reflection off the moon, but also to do with our eyes. There's a lot of wonderful optical illusions that you can see where they say, oh, like a chessboard and what color is this and what color is this? And you think one is black and one is white, but actually they're both the same color. And that's because your eyes are adapting these weird optical illusions to make something a bit more prominent. And largely that's what we do when we look at the sky at night. We're, we're heightening, our eyes are heightening the light to make it stick out in this blanket of blackness. And that makes it really white. It's it's very bizarre. Wow. I mean, obviously, I didn't know the answer at all, but that is not the answer I would have thought of. So that is that is incredible. Uh, and finally, the last one is from Skateboard Ten, who says, "What was the strongest dinosaur?" Oh, now this 
This is a fascinating question because there's new science all the time and new dinosaurs are being discovered all the time, which sort of says, you know, you'll see headlines saying, this is the strongest dinosaur. And then the next day, no, we found an even stronger dinosaur. So it's a really hard question to answer. And, and the question as well is, what, what do we mean by strongest? Is it, is it the one that could outlast a other, another dinosaur in sort of like a triathlon? Is it, uh, is it the bite of a dinosaur? If we were going pure bite, so far, we think that the Tyrannosaurus rex, the most obvious answer, Ooh. is the strongest. It had the biggest, strongest bite, uh, measured at 8,000 pounds, the bite. It's sort of, um, it's just so unbelievably strong, it's hard to contextualize. And um, we think that that probably is the strongest dinosaur. And, and the T-Rex actually has been overtaken by a lot of other dinosaurs. Um, anyone who saw the recent Jurassic Park movies might have seen the Spinosaurus, which is a ginormous water-based and land-based dinosaur. Uh, so it was able to swim much bigger. And you would think that that was bigger and stronger. There's the Ultrasaurus, which just sounds like the ultimate saurus in its <laughs> name. It's the Ultrasaurus. Um, but the reality is, the interesting thing about the T-Rex is it's almost like having a top trumps card and you have to look at all the elements that make it the best dinosaur. And the T-Rex might not be the strongest or the fastest or the or have the best sense of smell, but it has on average better than every other dinosaur. It's the ultimate package. It's the one dinosaur that you wouldn't have to do a triathlon with because it would just be able to be very, very good at each element of it. Oh man, T-Rexes for the win. That was brilliant. Thank you for for researching those for us, guys. That was, that was incredible. Um, I could honestly talk to you all day, but I'm aware that we've all got lives to live. Uh, so we should just say that your book is out right now. Funny you should ask. Um, obviously, everybody's stuck at home at the moment, but you can still get it online from independent bookshops, from wherever you get your books. It's out there in the world, right? It is out there in the world. Uh, Bex, I didn't give you my two last facts. I promised oh, yeah, total. Yeah. Let me just very quickly. Okay. One is that uh, Formula One racing, the 1959 championship was won on foot. Basically... <laughs> This is incredible. Jack Brabham was on the final round and he was nearing the finish line when he ran out of petrol, but he had such a lead that he jumped out of his car and he pushed it over the finishing line and still won. <laughs> so he won that on foot. What and then, incredible. And then the last one uh, is actually from our Funny You Should Ask book. And it's a question that I've always wondered about. And I don't know who answered it in our group. I'd love to find out. It's, um, it's the question that because chess has been played so many times over the century, has every possible game, move for move, already been played before? It makes sense, right? So many games have been played. Surely every single version of a game has been played. But the answer is actually no. There are more possible games of chess than there have been seconds since the start of the universe. Now, the universe is billions of years old. And think how many seconds, 60 seconds in a minute, how many in, in billions and billions. And we've not yet played that many versions that you can play on chess. That's that's amazing. That's that's incredible. It's mind blowing. Oh man, I'm glad that you gave me those two facts. I'm glad I accidentally put you on the spot there. Thank you for giving me those. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anne and Dan, thank you so much for chatting to us. And hopefully, everybody will go and grab the book uh, for themselves or for a present for somebody for Christmas. And uh, it'd be lovely to see you in the Fun Kids Studio one day. So that was a podcast from the children's radio station Fun Kids. Listen on DAB Digital Radio across the UK or online at funkidslive.com.